Have you ever wondered if people will live for hundreds of years? Come see Aubrey de Grey and other prominent scientists at the Lifespan Conference on November 15th in Vancouver, Canada. You'll learn about new advances in human longevity, genomics, and what the future may hold for humankind. Early bird tickets are available now at www.lifespanbc.ca. All right, this is Ink Studs, and we're in the home of Kelly Sudikonik and Matt Fraction, sitting at their wonderful kitchen table, enjoying the spacious view. I feel like we're in the middle of a forest. It's kind of like the Ewok forest. Mm-hmm. This is the indoor, right there. We, we actually we call it Shed the Hobbit House. It's back there. Okay. Our, and our kids love to run run through. The, the honking, though, just kind of undercut our... That never happens. A highway through the Hobbit House. You don't remember that kind of thing? But yeah, the kids run around barefoot. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily Hobbit related, but they get splintered. They're both adept. Our daughter is four, and she's really adept with a pair of tweezers and removing self policing yeah. splinters from her feet. But. Nice. She just likes to use tweezers, I think. <laughs> um, thank you for having us here. Mm-hmm. I should mention this is the first interview on our second leg of the Inkstuds Road Trip, joined with Brandon Graham as my travel buddy, interview Hello. buddy. Now we're in Portland. It's kind of our more relaxed. LA was very intense, and this is kind of nice. We showed up, sitting, chilling, and now we're going to talk comics, which I hope everyone enjoys hearing. Um, did you have an agenda, Robin, before we were going to start? We, we, we cut this in right in the middle of, of, of talking about other things. We were, if you're, if you're okay going there, I was, I was, uh, I was uh, talking to Kelly Sue about her, her uh, was it rewriting of a translation of Barbarella? Uh, yeah, I, I, we call it adapting. So it's a, a, I don't know. I think, I think I saw something where they said modernizing, although, I mean, you don't, it doesn't really... I didn't, like, write in cell phones or anything. <laughs> right. Barbarella's so. on Twitter. Yeah. Well, a lot of with the um, the translations of the European stuff, the old comics, like, s- translations vary so much. Like, I remember some stuff in heavy metal, you'll see one version, then you'll see, like, a book version, and it'll be completely different. I forget who it was. I think it was, like, Drew Lay or something. So, like, it all depends on who's translating the work well, yeah, of how it... Language is not math. There's not a one-to-one relationship. So uh, there is an element of uh, you you have to kind of intuit the original author's intent and try to stay true to that intent, um, fidelity to that tone, taking precedence over uh, exact translation because sometimes uh, a word-for-word translation... Well, first of all, it's impossible because there's, you know, there isn't a one-to-one relationship, but um, but assuming some level of uh, what's the opposite of subjectivity? Objectivity. Uh, some level of objectivity. Y- you couldn't um, y- you couldn't just run it through you know Google Translator and yeah. um, and have character come through, right? Um, because there's cultural components to think about and you know and, and the work that I did with uh, Japanese and Korean work in Japanese is oriented vertically yeah. and uh, English not so much um, and if we change the shape of those balloons we're covering art mm-hmm. we yeah. really don't want to cover art so we have to think about things like 
that like the, the physical size of the words we're using um, and uh, how to take that line of dialogue, keep some sense of the character and tone, but use as few words as possible. Yeah. Uh, it's a real exercise. I, I, I enjoy it in the same way I enjoy puzzle solving. And then there, then, then there's the fun part. Like the best thing that happens is when, you know, and you, you generally work with translators. Um, um, uh, a couple times I have done it myself with the book, you know. But um, that sounds kind of horrendous. It's it's not if no. you're a certain personality. <laughs> Was that Japanese work you did that with? Uh, yes, um, but uh, uh, and I have enough Japanese to. Uh, know the alphabet. Right. Um, uh, I have about a year of a tutor, so that's enough to like introduce myself and uh, and bow, and then have them go into English. Right. Hear how translated that. comics yes. of thirty-two pages of people asking to where the bathroom is. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yes. The French equivalent of zutado, right. uh, or, or the, the Japanese equivalent of zutado. Um, but uh, the 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 thing that's the most fun is if you have this you like you'll find something and you, you'll in the translation you have a sense that there's something else there mm-hmm. um and it, it's just sort of intuitive and you dig a little bit and you find like oh that's a line from a particular children's book that was very yeah. high, you know and and you can find these references and that's exciting that always feels like yes oh, nice. is it almost trying to put yourself in the head of the author when they're creating it yeah level? i mean i think if I've done my job well, my hand is invisible. Like mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. It, if I've done my job well, you don't. It's not my style. It's um, you, you. Hopefully, you just enjoy the story and don't notice that you're reading it in translation. Right. Now, the the, the early translation work that was for Tokyo Pop. I did mm-hmm. Tokyo Pop and Viz. Okay. Now was that? Um, I'm just trying to get like some kind of like biographical timeline uh-huh. as far as like your own personal writing. Um, were you doing a lot of writing before doing translating? I wrote for magazines um, professionally first. Okay. Um, I wrote for comics sites, um, and uh, and I helped novelists do research. Um, my first work in the comics industry that was paid was a re- review work, but not really reviews. I, I lucked out. Um, I worked... Um, I co-founded Art Bomb okay. with uh, uh, Ellis and Peter Rose okay. and Matt. Um, I came in later. You guys had it. Hired. Yeah, it was the three of us first. first but you were you came in before we launched. I feel like. Yeah, but I was still a hire. You guys yeah. were there was a. It was the three of us, and then yeah. um, and then Matt and uh, but um, Peter had a budget for it, and uh, he paid me for each of these reviews, and they weren't so much reviews as they were catalog entries. We had a policy of only writing about the books that we recommended. Yeah. Um, so I never find myself in that position of like, I said something shitty about your book and you know, <laughs> and now we're colleagues. That sounds, That's awesome. That sounds really good. I, I've actively been trying to only look at more positive comic websites that make me excited about the industry and not make me want to yeah. leave it. I mean, I think... Um, it's kind of a balance though because you need... I mean, this is me coming from my own point of view as a critic. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's important to have... To be able to have mature critical dialogue. Yeah, but that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. There's mature critical dialogue and then there 
stars. Two out of five stars. This yeah. isn't what I thought it was going to be. A, it's a very, very good point. Nothing so. happened. Oh, before we escape Barbarella, I, <laughs> I want to. Were you? Did you have a relationship with the work before? Uh, before you were approached to translate it or to adapt it? Only in that I had. I mean, I'd read it. I'd read the first volume, never the second, because mm-hmm. um, the second wasn't in English, and I wasn't going to bother to translate it for myself. Um, and I'd seen the movie. Right. Did you um, come at it from the movie first, or did you know the comics? I think I knew the movie first. Okay, that's um, probably true of every American. Movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was in junior high when I saw it, mm-hmm. um, and I think it was probably. I think it was like one of those things where I was one of the kids who knew where the name Duran Duran came from. Right, that is, <laughs> you know? that is quite a, a, a caveat. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. So. Um, that's a word. Right. Um, did, did you develop any, any really strong feelings about about the work in relation to... I'm thinking about it in relation to like my own... Like I really like Conan comics from the 70s, and I see other adaptions of them, and I'm like, oh, you're doing everything wrong. Like, did you... I'm wondering if, if there's, if you kind of, uh, what your relationship was like with the earlier translated versions and the movie in relation to kind of your own relationship with the work. Well, I think that, I, I'm like, I hadn't looked at it in years mm-hmm. when I got the gig. And uh, one thing that was interesting is that I had remembered it as being, um, much dirtier and much more transgressive than it actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was interesting. Um, and I did not rewatch the film. I haven't seen the film in a very long time. That, okay. Is that a purposeful decision? Yeah. Um, I didn't want that tone to affect it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm easily influenced by things, so I very often have to section off um like I, I i was kind of crestfallen when um uh i was about to launch pretty deadly and read about east of west that, mm. and was like oh <laughs> <laughs> and um i'm a big fan of hickman's but i haven't been able to read that for fear of i think with that not so much for fear of um of having it influence like in a positive direction like I, I'm not afraid that I would be right, trying to, yeah. to, to mimic John but rather that I might um, like I didn't know that there was a personified death in his story until right. ours was you know this was already part of a very important part of our story and had I known that I might have blown it up because yeah. I you know would want to stay as different and as separate as possible. Yeah. Um, and they're two incredibly different books, from my understanding. Yeah. Um, uh, I know John and I are very different writers, um, and no one draws like Emma. So, um, is it part of like just questioning the decisions you make? I, I it it is a, a I don't want to. I mean, I ideally. <laughs> Ideally, I want to be uh, uh, Emily Dickinson, right? Yeah. I, ideally, I, I want to be writing for the drawer. Right. Um, but I know myself well enough to know that I am going to be affected by how I'm afraid I will be perceived. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, it's best that I not take those things in for, for the same reason now as I'm working on Bitch Planet I'm not watching Orange is the New Black right. which is killing me because I keep hearing wonderful things about <laughs> it um, but uh, but I don't I don't want to be either uh, I don't want it to have an effect on me either uh, um, an, an attraction or an aversion to a particular um, instinct that I have for right. the story do you ever use that uh, you're, you're being influenced by external work to uh plan to write in a certain way or to kind of approach a thing? Do you, do you research things to hoping that the influence sticks to you? Yeah, so I've been avoiding Orange is the New Black, but um, have taken in, you know, caged heat mm-hmm. and um, uh, some uh, other... Is it contemporary work that you avoid then? I suppose, Is probably. it like that kind of if that crosses over, this also like kind of gives you the work like a certain point in time when it comes out too. I have a feeling, and I won't know until until Bitch Planet is sort of a whole thing in front yeah. of me. But um, you know, the, the the best example of when I will consciously uh, uh, is of the Avengers books. Mm-hmm. Um, I am trying to write Robert Downey Jr. as uh, Iron Man. I am trying to write uh, Chris Evans as um, uh, Captain America. Those are the voices that are in my head. Um, And it makes it a lot of fun. Uh, It makes the book very accessible to people who are coming in from seeing the films. Um, Does that hit almost like a fan fiction note then? I don't know. Um, And I think that that term gets used so derisively by professionals? I mean it in a very positive way. Okay. I do a lot of things that I regard as fan fiction. Which to me means, I, I, I use it in a way that means to me that you enjoy something to the point where it's not drawing from yourself, but drawing from uh, what you'd like to see from, from your own entertainment. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope I'm... I mean, like the the Science Bros storyline is uh, named for a Tumblr tag. Right. Um, so there's very much a nod to um, the movie continuity universe there. Yeah. Um, but even with all of that sort of fun stuff in there, what I'm really writing about is... Um, The, 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 um, the dark view of the future and the optimistic view of the future and how mm-hmm. they um, how these two characters can kind of champion these two points of view. Okay, so it's, um, it's a lot of frosting on something that is real feelings coming from, you know, things like your Star Wars references and Captain Marvel or whatnot. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are, those are fun things, but I... I I hope that what the story is really about is, um, you know, in the case of, of the higher, faster, furthermore mm-hmm. uh, storyline, it's it's really about how there aren't simple solutions. Right. Um, how how everyone thinks that they're doing the best thing for their people, mm-hmm. um, and you can't just come in and you know 
wiggle your nose and it's all all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, and that was fun to read in a setting like that because that's a lot of superhero comics get very A, B, and C. Yeah. You know, and even when you read things like, um, like I remember reading Civil War and, and to even make Captain America versus Iron Man, they had to make Iron Man more of a villain than you're used to seeing. Right. Or at least that was my impression. Um, oh, something you mentioned earlier I want to get back to is the idea of, of writing your work and just immediately putting it, you know, writing for the drawer. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like you are, are somebody who, uh, from my understanding, has a very uh, good connection with your readership. And it seems like something that you're really involved in. And uh, is, it, do you, is that after the work is done that you think about the readership, or does that affect the writing in the, in the process of it? I mean, it's, it's a, a thing you have to be very careful with um, because um, I'm a genuine extrovert. Mm-hmm. I like people. It is not, uh, it's not something I have to fake. Um, I like meeting readers. I enjoy learning their stories. I think it feeds me as an artist as well as a person. Um, I'm incredibly moved by uh, how people have been affected by things like the tumor storyline with Captain Marvel. That said, I think you have to adopt a certain I don't give a fuck if you like it attitude in the creation of it. Um, um, And not just for for some objective notion that pandering is bad, but because um, you will never be able to satisfy everyone, you know. uh, uh, And if you start you know that would lies madness, really and truly. And I think the, right. the, the it is only important that you satisfy yourself and your editor, mm-hmm. and um, and your artist. I mean, I do. I pander to my artist. I ask my artist, "What do you want to draw? Right. What things interest you?" You know, yeah. um, uh, and I absolutely tailor my scripts um, uh, to please the artist and to um, and to use their strengths. Right. Um, but I can't. It's 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 interesting because I I've been accused of doing. I, I've I've been accused of uh, like you know there's. There's some chewy issues coming up you mm. know and and Carol takes the cat out into space with her, and. Uh, uh, one of the Carol Corps members was uh, was very upset that there was some chatter in the group that the book wasn't what it used to be and that I was now pandering too much to the Carol Corps, which is hilarious because they are the Carol Corps, the right. people that were saying this. Um, uh, <laughs> and, um, uh, and you know, like, you know, the Carol Corps likes Chewy, so now Chewy's in the... In, in, and, and it's all that kind of thing where it's... Um, what what you mean is you're accusing me of pandering to someone who is not you, right. you know. Right. Um, uh, and uh, and the truth is that I write the book the way it amuses me. And um, uh, and the reason that Chewie went into space with her was because uh, I was trying. I have a tendency to cover 
weaknesses in my writing with um, uh, strong prose. So I, when if I if I know that I haven't nailed something, and you know these books come out every thirty days, and mm. you don't get it right every yeah. time, um, uh, one of my tricks is that uh, I will give Carol a nice um, internal monologue that, uh, with strong prose, I can kind of cover a multitude of sins, mm. um, and I wanted to do that less because I feel like it's a crutch yeah. that um, that I depend on too much and uh, Matt made fun of me a little bit for the he was like yes that thing that you do really well you should probably not do that you know <laughs> um, uh, it's like well I get that too but but I think I think I'd rather use that sparingly like there were there are times that it's Helen's letter in the first arc um, Right. I'm very proud of that, and it was very appropriate. Um, but there are times that I've done it when it's when it's been like, don't look at this, you know. Yeah. You and, never want to be the author where it's like, oh, she's doing that trick again. Yeah. So um, everybody gets that way, you know. Like that's I think that's a time like when you. I think there's a difference between doing it because it's writing mm-hmm. and like doing it because you're out of moves. Right. Right. Like that's like that's. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and it never feels to me like you're out of moves. It feels like, no, this is how you write. Yeah. You, you write well. And, like, you should do that instead yeah. of, like, someone who, oh, here's where, you know, you, you watch a TV show and you can predict, you right. know. Right. Like it's, it's, they're going to break up and here's where the wacky misunderstanding happens and here's where he doesn't hear the second half of the conversation. So this is, you know, there's that kind of... Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It's never felt. It never feels like you're out of moves. It feels like. Well, I appreciate that. I'm glad. Um, uh, but I, I it, think it would be like it's, it's like Kobe Bryant going like, you know, what? people just expect me to play basketball, so now I'm about football. Like, no, you're Kobe Bryant. Right. Go be Kobe Bryant. Yeah. But I feel like it's that walking that line where you're you, you want to take risks and try new things, <laughs> but not lose your voice. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So so I was trying to um, pull back on that particular tool a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, if it was going to be Carol in a, in a ship by herself, if she didn't have an internal monologue, there's not going to be a lot of dialogue in the script. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I gave her a talking ship and her cat so yeah. she would have someone to talk to. I often say that uh, text is the only real way you can slow a reader down. Yeah, so, absolutely. And when you're putting out 20 pages a month, that, that costs $4 to yeah. slow people down. Yeah, no, yeah, and, and finding yeah. that balance where you're... Um, you're doing as much as you can or should do to control the pacing mm-hmm. without um, uh, overburdening the, these panels with large chunks of text just right. for text's sake, you know, which I think is where the um, adaptation experience uh, comes in a lot. That, right. That's sort of like trying to be as get across what I'm getting across in as few words as possible. Yeah. One of the things I was thinking about with the translation experience is how as a writer, um, that's one of the best ways to study someone's writing, too, mm-hmm. is to really, like, understand their words. And I'm curious about how that's kind of informed your own writing. You know, I don't, I don't know... I mean, I think I... I, I think if, you, if you're a, a, allowed to evaluate your... your 
yourself in such a way. I think that my strengths are are in characterization and dialogue, um, and I have always attributed that to um, that I have theater training, so I, I come to it kind of as an actor, um, uh, and, and will frequently physicalize at my keyboard, um, and uh, and also that I spent seven years writing only dialogue. Yeah. Um, and uh, and the exercise of trying to take your ego out of it too, which I think is very good for you as a as a writer. Do you do you feel that you're able to? Most of the time, I think. Um, I was I was reading Captain uh, Captain Marvel and and there was there was points when and I mean this in a good way. There was points where it was like it was like cocky writing where this is the part where. Maybe this is what you're talking about with the the kind of covering things with with strong prose. Mm-hmm. Was it felt like it, this was the part where you're like showing that you can write, and and for me that that feels like ego, because mm. maybe that's where I come from with it. But. Yeah. Um. Hmm. It's also like a difference in styles because a lot of your stuff, especially the prophet, is kind of boiled down, and you try and pull out as many words as you can. Well, reading Kelsey's book was really making me, and, and it's always horrible when I bring myself into interviews like this, but, but it was relating, uh, I feel like when I do my work that I draw, and when I do profit, I have very different writing styles, and and reading your, your Marvel work and reading Pretty Deadly, it felt like they were dramatically different approaches to writing. Is that something that you consciously do, or is it just the different artists that you're working with? Well, the, I mean, the, the, the work style of the two um, Pretty Deadly is written and not like anything else is written. written. Um, um, and, you know, first of all, we write it, uh, we go a scene at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, at first it was um, just because of time, but it's become our preferred working style because it allows me to be influenced by her work. Nice. Yeah. Um, it becomes more of a dialogue than, you know, I, I here are these 24 pages as I see them, yeah. and then you do the whole thing, and then I like, oh, oh, yeah. well, I, you know, let, let me adjust this, and this way it's, it, there's much more of a back and forth, and, and, uh, and I think that it's... Um, do you try to work towards each other's strengths? Like, you hear a lot of, like, writers writing to that artist, right? Mm-hmm. Like, someone like Almore would write specifically for that artist, but it sounds like is Emma also, like, drawing to your strength as well? Like, is there that kind of give and take? I don't know. I mean, I guess um, I've never written a page that Emma did not add panels to. Mm. Um, uh you know, I, I will think, like, I got you now. I turn in, like, a 10-page panel, or, or a 10-panel page, rather, and it comes back, and there's 16, yeah. you know? Um, but uh, she she just is so gifted at calling out moments, and, and um, there's things, and I tell this story a lot, but um, when we collaborated on, on uh, Captain Marvel, there was a, a hospital scene that I'd written that um, when the art came in, 
I, you almost could have just removed the dialogue entirely, except mm-hmm. that no one would have lingered on the page at all. Right. Um, but uh, uh, I did pull back on the dialogue, and there's one panel in particular that she added. Um, I'd written a note in the script, and um, uh, and, it, and it was a thing that interesting. Um, I love Steve Wacker, um, but uh, but he and I would you know, butt heads frequently about mm-hmm. things. And he would, I would always annoy him in my scripts by giving like acting notes. And he's like, what does that mean? Nobody can draw that, you know? And I'm like, I don't care if they can draw it. I want them to know it, you right. know, cause I want yeah. them to feel it while they're drawing it. And for Emma, it is very important to her mm-hmm. to have these, um, kind of acting notes. And, uh, and so I had written in the script, it was like, you know, Steve is going to hate this, but I'm telling you, uh, uh, you know, there's a thing where, um, where an actor will cry by playing, trying not to cry. And, uh, and here, uh, uh, Tracy is going to show us how scared she is by showing us how scared she's not, Right. you know? And, uh, and Emma wrote back and was like, no, this is important stuff for me. I love this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, just ignore Steve and, and, uh. And so we had a good laugh about that. But um, uh, the flip side of that is Gabriel and Fabio saying the first sentence in a Casanova script is for us; the rest is for you. Yeah. <laughs> what did I just know you? By the way, they don't speak with accents at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, know your collaborator. Gabriel Ba you know? from Brazil. Yeah. Um, but uh, but for, for Emma, you know, more is more. Um, and and, speaks. I, I'm wondering because your your manga. Uh, influence because Emma's got such a incredibly specific to- storytelling style that feels so manga. And when I re- reviews are pretty deadly, I feel like a lot of the reviewers are coming at it without the history at all that she has in her work mm-hmm. and her inner background. And uh, I'm wondering if your kind of manga background at all helps in working with her. You know, I'm sure it does, but not consciously. Mm-hmm. Like, I've never been aware, I've never really. I, I get asked frequently if I have a manga influence to my work, and really? um, uh, and I never really know what that means, mm-hmm. um, uh, because manga is just comics. It's just yeah. Japanese comics, and there's such a broad, you know, and like it is is my work like you know I did twenty volumes of right. sensual phrase. Am I influenced by sensual phrase? Series. I don't think so. Yeah. But with Emma, it's specifically 70s uh, manga and horror manga. Yeah. Uh, did you translate anything along those lines? Portis um, was the only horror book I did. Um, and it's a single volume. Did you like it? No. I mean, well, I, I, I didn't... I, didn't <laughs> uh, I liked the art style. Um, right. I didn't think it was... I wasn't particularly like... Oh God! You must read this. Yeah, well, horror um, seems like the hardest thing to do in comics. Yeah, from my understanding. Um, uh, I the best books I worked on were Blue Spring and Sexy Voice and Robo. Oh, that's um, amazing! The uh, author of that's doing a new Apple Seed, which is very excited to hear. Uh, um, really? Yeah. 
Wow. Look it up on the internet. It's, it's yeah, no, I believe it. That's it's really in. What, what, a, what, a, what a chewy and sexy voice and robot. No, no, I've read, I've read it. Yeah, it's yeah. Cool. Ayo Kuroda. It's just, it's, just, it's, it's, I wouldn't. Yeah, it looks like Appleseed, of course. But it looks like a early Brian O'Malley drawing Appleseed, almost. It's, wow. Uh, um, I didn't realize you did the translation on that. I really like that one. Yeah, I love the book. It was really wonderful. I worked on that with uh, Eric Sterlman at Viz. Um, and I think it won an award, or at least was nominated. I, I would hope so. And yeah. it was printed so nice. I, I meant to ask earlier about things like working for one of my one of my big criticisms of humanoids is they put out these amazing books and then price them in a way that only uh, wealthy middle aged people can buy. Yeah. I wonder if that's ever a concern in, in in kind of in relation to your to your readers about how the work is sold or presented to people. Well. Um... You know, I'm I'm only involved in that in the image books, mm-hmm. um, in the the work for hire stuff. I've I've nothing to do with that, so um, there's no reason for me to expend any energy on it. Um, uh, at Image, um, we try to price it such that we think it's 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 fair and accessible and and. And in, uh, at a point where we can keep going, we can afford to keep going with right, it. Um, and uh, as far as formats go, um, it's probably one of the most frequently asked questions on my Tumblr. Um, and, and you know, probably every six months or so, I'll, I'll respond to one just to get it out there again. Mm-hmm. Uh, people will ask about, you know, if I'm buying you know digitally is that still supporting the book as much as you know because we have this conversation over and over again about right. pre-orders and mm-hmm. and how books can get canceled before they ever come out and so on and so forth because our our business model is so jacked up um and my feeling about that is that I cannot strap the consumer with that responsibility my feeling right. is I am willing if you are already planning on buying a single, I'm willing to ask you to pre-order it. Mm-hmm. I think that is a reasonable request, um, and it will make a huge difference to how the book does. I will not. I will draw a line at telling you what format to buy the book right. in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you should consume it in the way that you enjoy it. Yeah, uh, if you want your like... ice cream in a cone, you should eat it in a cone. And if yeah. you like it in a cup, you should eat it in a cup. And I'm an and asshole if, you don't want to if decide I tell you. Until the day that you're at the ice cream shop. Yeah. Decide. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And like, guess what? The ice cream shop might be sold out of cones. Yeah. Yeah. So and you just the that, idea but... of like, ideally, or I, you know, I assume you wouldn't put it out in any format you didn't want anyone to buy. Yeah. No. Um. Uh. And in fact, we're we're sort of dealing with that with pretty deadly right now with um uh foreign rights mm-hmm. and uh you know Austin Berry in Spain is going to do a gorgeous hardcover I was just I was just there and talking to Emma a lot about the Spanish translation Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um and our plan uh for pretty deadly is to do um a soft cover trade after uh, each volume and then a hardcover that we'll collect one and two and uh, have bonus materials. Nice. You know, we'll try to price that reasonably, but I'd also like it to be a nice object, yeah, you know? Agree. And that's very important to Emma. Like, yeah. you know, um, Emma, uh, 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 the one time I think I've ever seen her sort of, like, lose her shit about something was, yeah. uh, 
when an editor gave us a note about a double page spread and bearing in mind uh, digital readers and uh, <laughs> yeah and and, uh, and and my fucking almost cut somebody yeah. <laughs> uh, so I do I, I like her comic book idealism yes um, uh, yeah, I was like no you, Emma be Emma um, but uh, fight the good fight yeah it was great. I was like, oh. You shouldn't use red or green in paintings anymore because some people are colorblind. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not, it's, I understand why it got brought up. I mean, it's, it's. Considered. Yeah. And unconsidered. Moving on. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's not a bad note, but, uh, but at the same time, yeah, no. We're Those do people it. can pan. We're going to do it the way we're doing it. Yeah. Um, well, that brings up something interesting to me because I. I came into Emma's work through um, through reading her, and it was a Spider-Man, mm-hmm. uh, Daredevil thing, and I'm generally an asshole about mainstream comics, and and was really just like, oh my god, why is this beautiful work on this? You like ran to the comic store when it came out. Yeah, no, I saw I saw one of her um, pieces online. I, I, this is just going to go down a, a hole of me being ridiculous, but my, my point in it was that uh, her getting out of mainstream comics and doing personal work felt like a really big deal to her, mm-hmm. and doing the kind of comics that she really wanted to be associated with. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was really interested in, in your work and if you see a difference in doing the work for higher stuff, because you took the Prometheus book on recently, right? Yeah, I did. And I... I was I was asking Emma about it and I was like I I have no idea why Kelly Sue is doing this book because because I don't think she has to and I didn't like the movie so maybe that's me putting my own stuff on it yeah um uh, because it was being done in a writer's room um I don't um I'll say it if you don't <laughs> I am not invited to the creative retreats uh huh. And I have never had the writer's room experience. And as we are looking at doing more television work, where that is very much a part of the process day to day, I wanted to find out how I did in a room. I have not had the opportunity to have that experience. I'm very interested in that experience, as okay. we've, uh, as I've said. I'm I'm uh, a, a genuine extrovert. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not like with a little bit. Like no, mm-hmm. that's I'm very this, right. and uh, and I wanted to have the opportunity to do that. And I was offered not only will we be doing this in a room, but also you will be the boss. Okay. Um. Uh. And, and that's not actually true. Um. Uh. Scott Alley is the boss, but I was lead writer. Right. Um. And uh. And that, um, talk about ego, you know, that was like, oh, I don't usually get invited to these things and I get to be the princess. Yeah. Like, oh, fuck yeah. It, it might be queen at that point. Yeah. So, um, uh. The Ripley, if you will. Yes. So, um, so yeah, I showed up with bells on. Um, okay. and, uh, and also a, a sort of like, um, you know, we can we can talk about the relative successes of, of various Ripley Scott properties, but um, uh, I am a huge fan of Alien, um, which I think is fantastic, uh, and that and and I also think um, 
that that the character of Ripley is uh, culturally incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, There's kind of a neat kind of looking at Ripley, like we're talking about Barbarella earlier, and Ripley's just such like a huge, huge step yeah. forward. Look, look at Ripley and uh, Stone from Gravity. Um, uh, well, when you get a chance. Is this uh, the similar archetype you're saying? Yeah, it, it, it's, and, and I would argue that they're, they are, they tell the same story, really. Um, but, I mean, they're, they're both man versus nature. Um, uh, the difference is, and, and I think actually Alien is the, mo- the more successful film, although I thought, I enjoyed Gravity and thought it was stunningly beautiful, but I think mm-hmm. Ripley is... Um, the thing I love about Ripley is she has no fucking arc. Yeah. Um, right. uh, There's no tragedy. Yeah. There is nothing she has to overcome. Right. She's, just yeah. she's right the from the beginning. She was right from the moment she said, don't let it on the ship. Um, and she stays right yeah. the whole way. Mm-hmm. And because of it, because uh, of her strength, um, uh, she manages to survive. Um and uh, there, and I felt like the the thing that was problematic for me about Gravity, which again was a film I really enjoyed, but I cringed when we had the the the, the monologue about her daughter, and you know, and I just okay. didn't think it was necessary. Right. I didn't right. think I thought it was enough of a story to have this woman's strength of character pull her through and survive. Um, uh, you know, this this the. The universe, like it was, it was about this. You know, as human beings, we are this tiny little thing, and the whole fucking universe is trying to kill you. Mm-hmm. And that's what both films are about, you know. And 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 humans survive, and these women survived, you know. And then when we add on how, like, well, this is how she had to let go of the guilt about her, right. you know, I'm like fuck you, <laughs> no, you know. Um, and so, uh, so there are things about, and, and I like Scott's, I, you know, there's that story, and I have no idea if it's apocryphal or not, but there's, mm-hmm. the, there's the story about uh, Scott being in a meeting about um, Gladiator, and, you know, the talking story, Parnas and blah, blah, and he's like clearly checked out, and there's a painting on the wall of the Coliseum, mm-hmm. and, uh, and he's like, ah, fuck it, I can do that. You know, and and I think that sometimes um, his films are not as successful as we want them to be mm-hmm. in the story. But I think he's he's an artist and a painter in a very successful he way. He makes far. he makes amazing he, pictures. He yes, reaches. and I would much rather an ambitious failure. Yeah. Um, uh, the thing about Prometheus too, you didn't get to experience was the movie in three D. Yeah, right. And I to see Ridley Scott working with three D is much like Hugo. It's like it's a failed. It's maybe not a great film, quote unquote. But to see a real guy, yeah, playing with three D the way Scorsese or Ridley Scott does, it's like oh shit, this is what three D could be. Actually. Yeah. Um, but but it was worth seeing with problematic and all to watch that bit where they're out where they're mapping the the colony amazing it just yeah. it's it's he understands space intuitively in the way that Scorsese understands space and suddenly you're watching it's you see what 3D could be right. instead of the kind of the gimmick 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I would watch Idris Elba clip his toenails. Yeah. Uh, I'm totally. <laughs> Which is actually in the director's cut. It's riveting. Yeah. It's it is cut. amazing. It's really good. Yeah. And in 3D, forget uh, about it. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's very masculine in the way that he does that. Yeah. And he clips his toenails. Um, yeah. I'm going to clip my toenails. He seemed, um, I, I didn't make it very far through Prometheus, but he seemed almost like he was sleepy in it. No, no, no. no he's a. He's great, man. I have a friend that only refers to him as the grown-ass man, by the way. Ah, I love him. Um, I didn't love Luther as much as I wanted him. Really? But I, I love him. Yeah, because I think, um, uh, it was, I think it was an expectations thing. I, I've had this conversation about House of Cards as well. Um, I, uh, I wanted uh, Luther to be Cracker, and, uh, uh, and, it, and it quickly goes to opera. You know, there, there's yeah. like I said, you know, like when he busts. Hey, spoilers. Um, uh, <laughs> it's it's an old show. Okay. Um, when he uh, uh, when he busts the serial killer out of prison is like a thank you. Yeah. Like, right. no, probably not. I understand that we love this character and um and and the the idea of the moral ambiguity of the two of them working together, but fucking no, right. she's a murderer. You know, and um. Uh, uh, and, the, and the same thing with, with House of Cards was I, I thought House of Cards was going to be um, like West Wing, only we see how the sausages really get made, yeah, you know? Right. And, West Wing, but you don't want to give everyone a hug. Yeah, and um, uh, uh, like instead of like, uh, if West Wing is, is, is the idealism of like this is how it should be, then uh, House of Cards would be like literally turning to the camera and saying, no, this is how it really yeah. is. And I got... So excited about that! Like I flipped. I saw the first episode and I called you Matt and I was like, "I got my show. I found me. Mama got her stories." And then, um, uh, and then it very quickly becomes opera. Um, and I love opera, but if I'm gonna watch opera, I'm gonna watch Hannibal. And I just, as a you know? southerner, was so offended by Kevin Spacey's accent. That I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't watch Beyond the Bottom. <laughs> oh my, dude, declare I am hungry. <laughs> I didn't realize you were a southerner until I finally heard you use your real accent. <laughs> it comes out. I guess yeah, exactly. That's my real. So I really, I really speak like a like a fae foghorn leghorn. Yeah. Yeah. It. It. Uh. uh I'm not particularly southern. I wasn't bothered by the accent, but uh, and I and I like uh, 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 I like Robin Wright's. Now, uh, I want to question you guys about Southern bastards. <laughs> Lady Macbeth, but um, have you guys read that comic? Uh, we're, it's very, we're, we're not talking about Southern right, bastards. Right, it's it's a very southern comic. But the funniest thing about uh, uh, that is being on a panel with uh, uh, the Jasons mm-hmm. uh, and, and Jason Latour, who is a chatty motherfucker. Uh-huh. Um, but you put him up on a panel, and he like gives one and two word answers to things, and the two of them. Which is good because you know Jason Aaron is so. <laughs> <laughs> so the two of them, who, who I quite like. Um, I think that's a word. Uh, uh, I quite like both of them actually, but it was, but it is hilarious how it's like it's like a, um, it's like being on a panel with uh, those wine cooler guys. Who are the Bartles hell? and James? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, that's the wrong word. I used the wrong word, not the word. I'm thinking so lonely, Alan. Yeah, might as well sense. just give them just red and black cards to hold up for guessing. Yeah. Yep. Nice. My interaction with Jason Aaron was uh, him walking up to me and handing me a flask and walking away. That's pretty. There, see. I did tell him I liked his work. Was there a wine cooler in the flask? If, oh, I, 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 Jason's, I Jason's secret. It's all wine coolers. <laughs> yeah. it's, all, it's all Zima at Jason's house. I thought it was hilarious to tell him that I loved his work on Shaman's Tears, hmm. and he just didn't react at all. 
He's a, Jason is a the world's best straight man. Like just he's he's, he's unflappable. It's really yeah, it's really great. Brandon's been Brandon. writing the shaman's tear joke for about a year now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, I think you just said that you've known me for about a year now, then. But uh, well, you've had I feel other like jokes I'm, about I'm, that comic. I feel like I'm uh, derailing this whole conversation oh. here. One of the things I was thinking about when I was reading your work um, is you have a different voice than a lot of the mainstream stuff I was reading um, and the Captain Marvel stuff. And it really excited me because um, it seemed... Um, like you say, you know, your background isn't in superheroes. You didn't grow up reading superhero comics. No, I did. I didn't say that. Okay. You didn't have, like, a lot of the Marvel, like, the Avengers backstory stuff or something I don't know. Uh, I grew up in DC okay maybe uh, that's what it was but I, I grew up on, on Air Force bases and we didn't get American television so comics were my TV um, now I didn't I never worked at a store um, and when I was uh, fake I know. <laughs> uh, when I was uh, I mean I, I have thrown down comics and left comics more times than I can count yeah. but um, but you know I've I didn't study for a final in college because yeah. I had to read a Watchmen, <laughs> and, you know? So. Well, the, one of the things that really stuck out is kind of like an example of kind of the strength and stuff was the one character, I forget her name, who had the PTSD from being underwater. Oh, um, Monica Rambeau. Yeah, which was, for me, quite unusual to see, um, but makes such complete sense. Yeah. And, I, and I'm just curious about, I don't know, what the right question I'm coming up with is kind of feeling here. Yeah, this is the thing that, that I have noticed coming up a couple times in uh, in the reviews that I pretend I don't read. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll have the Google alerts. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't. He wisely does not. Um, but uh, there, there's a... I, I like to write about the repercussions of mm-hmm. things. You know, like... Um, it didn't. It didn't seem to me that I never saw Pepper mourn her husband. Yeah. You know, um, that is that. That is a huge fucking deal to have your husband die. That should color the characterization right. from then on for a couple years. I would think. You yeah, know, it's like as soon as you start to see these action figure comics as. As how real people would react, it creates seems like it creates entirely new stories. Well, there's, there's, yeah, um, uh, it, there's lots of different things at work here because we we want to make them as accessible as possible. So we want people to be able to come in at any point mm-hmm. and you know tie in so evergreen stories so uh, are best. So you want to tie it as little to continuity as possible, but at the same time, I think that I think you can do that and still. You know, do things like have, you know, think through, you know, okay, well, if there is this huge war that you know, literally the entire galaxy is involved in and I'm mm-hmm. seeing page after page of ships just be- being yeah. atomized, then it's going to take some time to rebuild those fleets. And all of these planets that have been destroyed have people on them. Right. And they have to go some... You know, the, the, the people that were off-world now have yeah. to go somewhere. Where do they go? And, and, and if you are 
the Spartax Emperor, um, uh, and 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 you've lost your fleet, and you're a very militaristic society. You're going to be really focused on rebuilding that fleet because it's your identity as a mm. people. Um, and so, so that's a fun thing for me. And and when I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to pitch, um, I can't do it in a vacuum. Because yeah. if I just sit around and be in, like, you know, like, like that, that's that thing that you get, like, um, you know, what, what's your Wonder Woman story? You know, you got a Wonder Woman story, you want to tell what's your Wonder Woman story? And like, I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I love Wonder Woman. I absolutely adore Wonder Woman, but I don't have one that's been sitting back there that's like, that's my Wonder Woman story, oh, yeah. you know? Um, I would probably want to write about the Amazons because I fucking love the Amazons, but I don't yeah. have that thing. So when I'm like, okay, it's issue number nine and I need a story, then um, I start looking at what was what was happening around these characters to find the sweater thread that I can pull on that then becomes a story. Yeah. And what I'm looking for is something that I have mixed feelings about mm -hmm. because it's always, the gist of it is always a thing that I can that I can see both sides of. Um, so, uh, so that's what I'm, I'm searching around for. I'm looking in, so with Rescue, it was, you know, I'm seeing her mourn her husband, so I want to see her mourn her husband. She, also, she has to move on. But I want to, I want to see that, the acknowledgement of that loss. So right. let's make this 20 pages where she gets a chance to sit with her husband in her head yeah. and, and say goodbye. Um, and, uh, and let's pair that with, um, you know, the, the questions of her own identity of like stepping into the suit and you know how comfortable is Pepper? Um, it, you know, she's always been a helpmeet, you know, um, and and let, let's try to make a visual way, an action-oriented way to talk about these things. Yeah. And then, and then it becomes puzzle solving, and then it's and then we're back to the things that I like about adaptation, mm -hmm. um, you know. And, and I, I coming back, I think circling around to the question you asked earlier about um, work for hire versus uh, creative work. I mean, I, I or creative work. Uh, it's all creative work. I think right. is my point. But um, um, but it's that personal balance, I guess. I, I try to. I write everything like I own it. Yeah. You know. I mean, I don't sit down and with. Captain Marvel and go well I'm saving this idea because I'm gonna put that in something I own you yeah. know um, I just it's funny the people that do say that never end up putting it anywhere they own they yeah. just end up punting for some other day when they'll be a better writer and it never comes around yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just I, I just offer not, not to, to cattily jump in but that strategy doesn't I don't know anyone that that strategy has worked out well I, don't, I wouldn't know how to do that because I'm, I'm looking for a Captain Marvel idea exactly like, you exactly. know exactly. Like, a full exactly. Deck, like a Rolodex of well this idea is going to the bank well you hear that argument a lot when people talk well, you about you do yeah from right. people who don't know what they're talking about right. the same people that think that there's some kind of Wizards. People who yeah, like there's some kind of editorial wizard that you know tells you what you can and can't do, or what you can and can't write about in work for hire situations, or whatever. There's a kind of a lot of misconception, and right. perceived wisdom that people just assume is. Or people that think the idea is the hard part. I'm gonna give you my idea. But yeah, or that listen, yeah. how do I know that Marvel's not gonna steal my idea? Well, because they got the one idea, <laughs> then you're really not cut out for this line of work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that that's sort of there's always somebody who kind of with trembling indignation at the convention will want to know, how do I know they're not gonna steal my idea if I submit it? 
Yeah, it's almost like that uh, valuing ideas is a good way to not... Valuing ideas is a good way to never have to put them in the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to write um, down some. You know, it's it's just that sort of like. But does does editorial come up at all in the work? Where, I mean, I, I just worked on a cartoon and and uh, you know I can't have farts lighting being lit on it. Sure, replicable behavior. Yeah, exactly. Behavior. So I mean, there's got to be things I assume when you're doing pretty deadly, or or the Marvel work that that is very different in, in how you know sure. you Sure, but I mean, I don't, I don't want, like, the, the times I've been told no, um, I, I, I think people would find them surprisingly few. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, there's one and, big one, um, which is like, that I, I wanted to change Carol's uh, um, origin. Mm-hmm. Um and I didn't get to do that. But that's fair, you know? Mm-hmm. That's that's all right. You're playing against someone else. That is the very box. nature of work for hire. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? Hey, here's an idea I want to do. Uh, you know, the flip side is Ed, when they asked Ed Brubaker about Captain America, he's like, I want to bring Bucky back. And Tom Brubaker was like, you can't. That's not why that happens. Yeah. Write down why, what you have in mind, then I'll read it and we'll think about it. But I'm, but no. And explain to me why you think the, sort of the two rules of Marvel is Uncle Ben and Bucky are dead, right? Mm-hmm. And Ed very thoughtfully wrote out the Winter Soldier storyline and Tom Brevoort read it and was like yeah you already sold me you know like that's a good editor who can start with a not with it with a you know right I, I start with a no but can be bought to a yes like that's actual discussion that's rational yeah. conversation you had a discussion with Steve you made your case and you were overruled I did it with Sana but Sana yeah. right right and that's um, the, you know well do you think that's why it's been uh, not a lot of changes that you've, you've the specific people you've worked with um No, I mean, I, I, I think that there's just a, a, Pretty Deadly is the book where, you know, the sword comes through the back of the head and out the mouth and cuts the face in half. Right. I don't want that in Captain Marvel, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's, that's always my, 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 my thing is like if you want to tell Alan Moore's story about leaving Swamp Thing at kind of the height of his powers and critical acclaim and somebody asked him why are, you, why are you going why now and his response was like I wanted to tell stories about the environment and the big muck monsters getting in the way right yeah. it's a great time to leave Swamp Thing yeah, yeah right but like if you like you want to do a story about like accessible legal late term abortion uh, provided on demand for anyone who wants it maybe Thor or Captain Marvel isn't the place to tell that story like it's sort of it's you can't force that apple to be an order. You know, it's not. It's not. It's not. You're not being censored. It's just. It's a shitty Thor story. Yeah. Right. Like right. it's like Alan Moore wanted to do Puma Blues, not Swamp Thing. Let Alan Moore go do Puma Blues and not Swamp Thing. Um, or whatever. Yeah. I mean, Carol's. They love when I say this, but like you know, Carol's Superman. Um, you know, she's. She's not. She's not like I. I think there's a there's a. She's she's more character flaws than Superman, but um, but she's uh, everything about her goes up. She's hard up, head up, chin up. You know that the thing about like like you know she's a pilot. She wants to go to the sky. There's a everything is this and uh, was that line from the book about everything from Oklahoma? Uh, there's a line uh, uh, the. In um, the Mercury 13 book by Martha Ackman, there's a line about how, of course, Jerry Cobb became a pilot. Everything from that part of Oklahoma uh, 
uh, wants to leave the earth, mm-hmm. and she ta- and she talks about how like you let go of a candy wrapper and the wind picks it up, and the street signs sort of shake, and and I got obsessed with that image of like the street signs shaking as it's trying to leave the earth, right. and that's Carol, you know, yeah. that that they're, everything about her is trying to go up. Was this tied at all to your idea for the different origin? I um that was um. That was pure unbridled feminism. Um, uh, I know. Go ahead and spit. Um, uh, uh, Bad news, guys. She was a feminist character from day one. Uh, 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 An unapologetic, the female fury. The vagina came from inside the house. That's right. Um, She used to work for. She worked for Woman Magazine. And, and a, she a, a, was a Gloria Steinem, Gloria Mange, Steinem like fan clearly, fiction. Clearly, Gloria Steinem was in the book. Uh, yeah, no, there is there is Gloria a, Steinem was in, but it's sort of you know what kind yeah. of superhero outfit did they put her in? No, no, she was her boss. Okay. No, 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 she was Carol. Oh, well, Carol. Who, who did Carol work for? J. Jonah Jameson. Who ran the magazine? In Carol. A I'm thinking of something else. No, Carol was okay, the editor. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. She was a stand-in for. She was I'm a thinking of all right, shit. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, yeah you know. But so that's the what you're talking about is the canon. When did she stop saying Shazam? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. Did you um have this kind of attachment and knowledge of her before starting on it? Was no. that was like okay. No. Um uh so I was a DC kid. Yeah. Um um one two. I read uh uh, uh Wonder Woman, um, Vampirella, and the DC horror anthologies, and Archie Digests, um, and uh, didn't I, mean, I knew the Marvel characters uh, culturally, mm-hmm. um, but nobody I knew uh, read or collected them. So um, uh, I loved the Incredible Hulk TV show, though, which I recently we rewatched the pilot. It still holds up. It's totally good. <laughs> Just so you know. Where Jack Kirby shows up? No. Yeah, he's a. I only saw the pilot. Oh uh, yeah, they bring him in as a uh, sketch artist. Oh wow! And the guy's describing it, and he's just like, rrr, rrr, rrr. and then they, they show the drawing. And you're like, yeah, that's just that's just the Hulk you drew. <laughs> Get out of here, you're a bum. That's hilarious. It's really, it's really worth looking at. Wow. The, the biggest pocket is it can come out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was, I was like all prepared to be like. And I, and I was, I was actually. That was good. That was actually good. Nice. So, um, uh, there was one montage. It's a little long, but apparently the show was like two hours and had yeah, to be impressed. Yeah, there was, there was a whole other. Yeah, they cut a whole other. Epi- it's like the. Yeah, they cut a whole other episode into that opening, fifteen minutes or whatever they had. All, yeah. yeah. So anyway, no I liked it, um, but yeah, I didn't didn't. No, I knew the character because I'd read um, Bendis's New Avengers stuff, um, mm-hmm. and uh, is that one of the characters that's had a lot of different uh, characters playing the same hero? Uh, Captain Marvel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There've been so Carol. I I knew as Ms. Marvel, and my pitch was a Ms. A Ms. Marvel pitch. Okay. Um, Which is a totally different character now, right? Um, Ms. Marvel is now Kamala Khan. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh, so I knew, I knew Carol from New Avengers. Was Captain Marvel, a, was it a black woman in a white outfit at one point? Yeah, that's Monica Rambeau. Okay. Um, she was Captain Marvel. That's that what was what that two-issue uh, thing was sort of, again, this was sort of acknowledging repercussions. Like, yeah. um, you know, like she, you, oh, I just took your call sign. We yeah. should maybe talk about that. Yeah. You know? Um, what up, bro? Come on. Yeah, you call. Um, 
and uh, uh, and then you know previous to that it was Marvel um, was well there's actually been others but okay. but the original when most people think of Captain Marvel they think of uh, Marvel um, and and really they're thinking of Jim Starlin mm-hmm. um, uh, Starlin did some amazing seventies cosmic stuff uh, right. and 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 also one of the one of the best handled comics deaths and one that has been um, fairly respected uh, mm-hmm. yeah, they... because of the way that it was done. Mm-hmm. Um, Starlin was losing, I believe, his father to cancer, mm-hmm. and he wrote Marvell dying of cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was this kind of thing that I love in comics where all the superpowers in the world can't punch a disease, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, uh, uh, and, and I like when we take our heroes and put them up against things that they can't punch. Um, I think that really challenges them as heroes and, and gives us a way to relate to them aside from just power fantasies. Yeah. Um, and in, you know, I have no shortage of power fantasies, but, uh, but it's nice to, to figure out what that honking is. Oh no, what is it? Okay. I wanted to I wanted to get into your um, I guess I guess get into to uh, how your belief system, especially feminism, affects working. I don't think feminism is a belief system as well, much as a, it makes it sound like a religion. Well, I mean, something. I well, if you do it right, <laughs> is is how um, a lot of your work feels very. Uh, I don't word this right, but it, 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 I guess that's my it, it feels very maternal in some ways. The characters, um, Captain Marvel speaks to the younger characters like a mother. Mm. And, um, and you, something I noticed both you and Matt involve a lot of children in your work, which you, I feel like I don't see in, uh, in work. And, I, and, and recently I saw photos of you with lots of, lots of little girls dressed up as your characters. And I assume that's a concern of you kind of putting these ideas out of, of strong role models. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think... Well, I think superheroes should be role models, you know? Um, uh, I don't think they have to be perfect. In fact, I don't think perfect characters are incredibly relatable. Um, but... Uh, yeah, Jenny is not a role model. Captain Marvel is. I mean, you know, I think that that's. Um, uh, I think it's. It's interesting. I, Carol has has a child in her life. She has Kit in her life. But I don't think of Carol as being particularly maternal. Um, uh, I, I certainly am. I'm a mom. Um, uh, I was thinking specifically of the scene where the alien girl is calling herself a warrior, and she she shuts her down in a very kind of scolding parent way, almost. Yeah, but uh, uh, but I, but from Carol's perspective, that's I don't think it's a, it's parental. It's uh, um, is it just an adult speaking to a child? It, no, it's it's. It's I am a warrior, and you're misusing okay. your your. Uh, your claiming that code and you don't know what you're talking about. Um, uh, I think Carol feels very strongly about that identity and that you don't, I don't think you fuck with that around her and get called on and not get called on it. Um, but I I mean, I've no aversion. I don't, I I don't think that, um, 
you know, I don't like the demonization of anything uh, of feminine. I don't think it's a, it's a, 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 I'm not offended. I don't think it's a, it's a, it is a, a insult to refer to something as, as maternal. Um, um, it's very much a part of my identity. Um, uh, it doesn't happen to be a, a way that I perceive uh, Carol in particular. And I, and I think it's funny too, because it, uh, uh, in the same way that like Carol thinks she's funny, but she's really not. Mm-hmm. She's sort of, she's like, like, you know, uncle jokes kind yeah. of funny. Um, uh, uh, I think Carol thinks that she's good with kids and she's really not <laughs> like, uh, like kid just sort of tolerates like right. h- how clueless she is, you know, um, uh, Marina is a good mother, uh, uh, and Carol's a good friend, mm-hmm. you know, and I think Carol learns more from Kit than Kit does from Carol. Okay. I, Car- Carol's Kit's role. Well, the real, the Kit's real role and from, from outside the, uh, uh, the narrative is, um, uh, there was a, a lot that that whole first run, the whole 2012 run mm-hmm. of that character is about revisiting Carol Danvers' history and kind of rewriting it. Yeah, right. Um, uh, w- w- which, if you if you want to get into uh, like like an arrogant, uh, there there's the splash page where where Carol says, "Let's rewrite some history, shall oh, we?" Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was like your mic drop. Yeah, was, uh, was that on purpose? Yes. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, there, there's, uh, I, I wanted to uh, uh, redo her. Um, I wanted to re. I wanted to revisit her origin. There was a lot of things that I wanted to do. I wanted to. I took her back to um, her origin. What I int- had intended to do was have. Um, so it's it's Carol and Helen there with Marvell and young Carol, mm-hmm. and um, in the original origin, um, uh, Marvell uh, picks up young Carol. The psychomagnetron uh, goes off, and uh, his powers are transferred to her for reasons. Right. And um, uh, so I wanted to have um, uh, Marvell pick up Helen instead. And uh, our Carol pick mm-hmm. up her younger self, so that when the magnetron went off, um, Marvell's powers would be transferred to Helen, and Carol's powers would be transferred to Carol. So mm-hmm. she would become the source of her own power. Okay. Um, uh, and apparently, that is very complicated. And I suppose if there is a paradox, a time travel paradox involved in your origin, <laughs> that is maybe a little weird. I get it. So you know, I got the nicks on that. Just thinking about like mainstream comics and how you can like you want to kind of do something complex like that. No, no, but you can have a whole scene of just characters shooting imaginary magical lasers at each other, having a big battle. Yeah. It's, I don't know. Yeah, it's I, not I, confounded by it. So something that makes you think you think is is is, is, is pulled is back more than things that that there's just no logic to it all. Yeah. I kind of get lost when I read, like, battle scenes in comics. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Like, someone's going to get killed at the end, and a whole bunch of stuff's happening. Banter, banter, banter. Yeah. Yeah, so, so that was what I wanted to do. I didn't get to do that. But I did revisit a lot of uh, things, and Carol has had her memory wiped out before, and this was a thing that we did. But the point here was Carol... Uh, 
loses her memory and then relearns who she is from an eight-year-old girl Mm -hmm. who only thinks the best of her. So, so in essence, what we did was I, I didn't retcon Avengers 200 or any of the other things out. They all still happened, but not as far as Carol knows. You dropped the baggage. So it doesn't matter. Right. Um, It's a good way to to do what you wanted and do what they wanted. Yeah. So she gets to be the the, the sort of clean slate hero that we want her to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And we haven't retconned away any of it, but it doesn't matter. You mentioned before the idea of, of, of her being a feminist character. Mm-hmm. Are there characters that you've written that you, women characters that you specifically think aren't or that were given to you and are really, uh, in, really problematic in, in how they're approached before that you had to f- kind of find a way to... Well, I, to I think it's, in, it's interesting that... Um, I think Ghost was meant to be a feminist character, and Super wasn't mm-hmm. um, in the '90s run. I think there's a lot of things to recommend the '90s run. There's a lot of fun stuff there. It's 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 like, you know, it, it's insane comics, and oh, yeah, I love I insane you comics. A scene to me about it the first time I met you. Yeah, there's there's a scene where um, there's two of them that I like to tell the stories mm-hmm. of. I'm not sure which one, but I have a I have a suspicion. There's this there is a scene where ghost and barbed wire are being pursued by a gang of naked bikers uh-huh. uh, with chainsaws I think right. uh, are they really naked then? Uh, well th- th- that is a question for the ages yeah. um, and uh, and I can't. I think it's ghost who's like go with me now you know like right. we have to stun them and idea. so yes so she makes out with uh, barbed wire, which, of course, uh, you know, nothing will stun a man into um, uh, immobilization like a lesbian kiss. I don't know if I told you the end of the story. Yes. Yeah. But immediately after you're telling me this, I went and ate uh, with Joe Keating and Kurt Busiek, and they shared a plate of clams across from me. <laughs> and I kept cracking up thinking of them as barbed wire and ghosts being like, go with me on this. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, so, uh... Speaking uh, of sharing clams by wire, this is giving me an idea. Yes. (laughs) So they, they, um, they make out, and that stuns the naked bikers uh, enough that they're able to, I think, shoot them. In fairness, it is a... No. Yeah, so, um... It's the 90s. Yeah. It's funny, because I like it when Modesty Blaze does it. I was going to make a Modesty Blaze, like, it's sort of the next step beyond Modesty Blaze's, uh... Right. But almost back to Barbarella, there's that level of craziness sometimes that can make a story, but I just watched a Gogo 13 movie. Yeah. And there's a... There's this mob boss's daughter that has a a locket around her neck that has a key on it. And the whole point of the key is that she has a safe in her room that when you open it up is a telephone that she can talk to her dad on. And to the amount of problems in that scenario are huge. I enjoyed the movie so much more because it was there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's there's stuff in, in like, there's a lot of a lot of things. I, like, sometimes people confuse, like, you know, a angry female with feminist, mm-hmm. and um, uh, not so much. Um, and... Uh, and they, in the original Ghost did that thing that we love to do in comics where we set up a salacious situation so we can find it salacious right. and then we whack our fingers at it, uh-huh. you know? Um, 
because really we're not getting off to this at all, you know? And um, so there was a lot of that as well. Um, so that was a clean reboot. That wasn't a, okay. that wasn't a, a like, hmm, let's figure out how, how we, we can... resolve that scene. Yeah. There's a flashback of, of, of things you saw off, didn't see off camera, what the characters were going to be. Ex- exactly, right. Um, so it, that was just a like, nope, clean slate. That's <laughs> not canon for the character's development. Yeah. So that was nice. Um, uh, although, like, there's one thing, probably the thing I did on that book that I was most proud of got undone. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Bummed me out. Um, but again, you know, not my toy. Um, uh, so one of the things that bugged me was her outfit. Um, uh, super dated, <laughs> like this, you know, the white corset and Ario Speedwagon kerchief thing. Now you're making it sound cool. No, um, no, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So I super hated it, and I just couldn't. It didn't make any sense, you right. know. And uh, why would she wear that? Like she's a character with choice. Why would she put that on? So is she is she an actual ghost? She's a, not a ghost. Okay. She's not actually dead. And that's I was thinking it could be a manifestation, a manifestation of like self hatred. Of <laughs> there you go. Um, so, uh, so I came up with. Um, I asked her to be put in a um, in a, 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 a white outfit that you know would have the cowl and call. You would call to mind this previous incarnation. Right. But I wanted it to be. Um, evening wear mm-hmm. and the uh, rather than lady of the evening wear exactly <laughs> the the showdown at the end of the the first series happens uh, at a black and white ball in Chicago okay. and you find that that her origin happens there on that night so like I think in the fourth issue you know, she comes out of the dressing room with her sister, and she's like, what do you think? And mm-hmm. we realize, oh, that's why she's wearing that. Right. Because that's what she was wearing when she was killed. Mm-hmm. Okay, that totally makes sense to me now. Um, and I guess, like, it was too hard to draw or something, so now she's, like, in white pants. And so, th- again, it doesn't make sense anymore. Well, she got pants, though. I mean, I mean yes, it's pants, pants, so there's nice. That's nice. It's not, she's not back in the corset. Right. But, um... But yeah, I was like, no, the point was that it's, that it has a reason for being what it is. Right. And I, apparently that is only important to me. So. <laughs> it's like Brandon likes to talk about people drawing with their boners. I was just thinking of it, uh, the, the ghost change of costume, essentially you having to go into the SWAT team and rescuing uh, the character from Adam Hughes' boner. <laughs> <laughs> I think he invented that design. I don't know. I, I, he he, he, he certainly covers. made it famous. He, 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 he did the yeah. that was the world's greatest comics. Was that there? Well, he did. Yeah, there's fucking. The he did like the, the first yeah, yeah. two or three issues of Ghost. Yeah, but I think he did the. I think he did all the covers. I have the omnibus downstairs. If we really need to go check. Yeah, no. This is. Uh, I'm feeling like I'm back in the comic store in the nineties again. Uh, we haven't even gone into barbed wire yet. I probably have that too. Comic that gave Pamela Anderson Pepsi because <laughs> of the tattoo mm. of the barbed wire. It's not from the comic directly. Well, she got the tattoo because like of the... the. She liked the design. So that was a terrible. But I'm fun. Sorry, Pamela Anderson. 
big scene. She's going to be super pissed off when she hears yeah. this. Yeah. When is Bitch Planet coming out? Oh, it was supposed to be November, but we just decided yesterday it's going to be December. <laughs> oh, yeah, we didn't even get to dig into Bitch Planet. We yeah. can still dig into Bitch Planet. Do you? I, I, I don't know if you want to... Um, how much you want to talk about the, the book that hasn't come out? I can try. <laughs> I was really interested in... in, uh, in I, I don't know much about your collaborator. Valentine. And I'd heard that you'd met him through... Uh, well, I'm interested in, in... Like, when you choose your own collaborators, like, with... Uh, like, I assume you saw Emma Rios's work before actually meeting her? Uh, Emma and I were paired up for um, Osborne. Okay. Uh, that was uh, that was an arranged marriage okay. that worked out very well for that, me. That is that is surprising. Yeah. Um, the... Steve uh, uh, Wacker did that, um, uh, and we actually she and I did a a piece for a book for him recently, um, where I wrote a verse and she illustrated it. Or actually, I think. She did the illustration first, and I wrote the verse mm. after. But anyway, because um, uh, he was the one that that kind of made that match, and because um, you guys seem so in line in so many ways. Yeah, no, she is she is my ideal collaborator, um, uh, which is a shitty thing to say to everyone else that you work with. Um, but I I I, um, I I really love all of my other collaborators, and they're all very. Mm-hmm. You know, like fucking Philippe Andrade, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, holy shit. Um, uh, Stefano Caselli is better with humor than, than any artist I've ever worked with. Um, uh, although David Lopez is that same kind of incredible expressiveness. Um, there's some, I've, had, I've been very lucky. I've had some really tremendous co- collaborators, but Emma is the one where... Uh, well, so we started to talk about this, I think, or... Maybe I just lost my train of thought, but um, uh, Pretty Deadly is, is uh, scripted scene by scene, right. and then also um, uh, we um, it, it, it changes scripting style frequently. Mm-hmm. So um, so sometimes I like those those places where she does those really crazy layouts. I wrote that in prose. Oh. You know, um, so it, it'll be a thing where I'm like, this is where I want to get out of your way and let you be Emma mm-hmm. because uh, there is no, nothing I'm going to come up with that is going to match what you're going to come up with. So let me tell you what my thoughts are. Like there's there's one where I'm like, I think this should happen in three uh, uh, rows and, and here's my thoughts for what happens across the rows. But then she figured out you know how how to make it one picture Um, whereas in my head it was three rows of panels you know because that's how comics look to me you know it was not that simple as yeah but but, you know i'm not so the the best thing i can do is get the hell out of her way right i'm sure you guys have discussed in interviews how she does things like um like talks to her fencing coach about the sword fights she's so amazing like (laughs) yeah she's um like there, there's no, like you know I'll write choreography right. and then and and she will explain to me that like you know physics don't work like that I'm like I don't care right. here's the like there's this whole thing where um, 
I wanted, uh, I wanted um, Mason to have, the, the Mason Fox to have a, mm-hmm. a staff in this fight. And, uh, and, the, and the sword would come down. And I wanted the moment where, where, where Jenny's um, uh, sword comes down and he stops it with, with the staff. And we see how overmatched he is, mm-hmm. and that, um, and understand that uh, he doesn't care if he dies, but he's not going to die until he in, until he he is ready to die, but he's not going to die until he gets that that thing from her that he wants. Right. Um, uh, and and that was the moment, and uh, and I had you know written it with the the staff thing, and she was like, well, that won't work because of the weight of the sword and the position, you know, and, and also you know he's bigger than her, so for him to look overmatched, you know, we're and, and I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I super don't care, <laughs> so you work that out. And give me this moment. Yeah. This moment is what's important. Yeah. And the rest of it is you being awesome and let me get out of your way and let you choreograph it. Um, so, you know, it's things like like that, like that moment or the moment yeah. where um, where she throws the knife and makes the decision right as she's throwing it. She's not going to kill him. Yeah. So it goes right by his face so he knows that she could have. Um, and... Uh, uh, like that, I'll, I'll be like, this is what needs to happen. You figure out the specifics in a way that satisfies. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and David Lopez does the same thing where, you know, I, mean, I was talking about Carol kicking somebody's ass or something. And he was like, well, you know, but this guy's big. And I'm like, shut up. Right. You know, <laughs> I, I don't care. The point, which is Captain Marvel. <laughs> Uh, so with, with fix this, it, uh, with you know. Part, though you mentioned to me before that it was, um, or at least my impression of it was that you were kind of. Um, I chose him for him and not for his work. Uh, that too, mm-hmm. but I, I was going to say that it was you, uh, like dealing with your love of, of the kind of prison B movies. Yeah, no, it, I mean it's really about um, a lot of things. It's about me venting my spleen, um, but like the, the the origin of the idea was in like how do I how I, I, well we talked about like I, I like things I don't know how I feel about them like mm-hmm. where I have mixed feelings with the, both sides. Um, I love. Um, uh, women prison uh, movies um, are are just one genre of them, mm-hmm. but I I love uh, uh, lady vengeance movies. Oh, like pinky violence. Pinky so. violence and and like girl, across girl uh, gangs. Uh, yeah, <laughs> across the spectrum. Any um, any time where like the the woman gets pissed off and 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 meets out justice and like the first one I remember seeing was a Western that I've never been able to identify. Um, uh, I was a kid. It was on television. The way I remember it is probably not accurate, and that's probably the reason I can't figure out what it is. But um, uh, I remember it as uh, being this this woman that either her husband or her brother is murdered, and she uh, learns to be a gunslinger and then travels the West seeking out each of the men that was involved in this murder and killing mm. them. 
Um, and, uh, and I was like six or five. And I was in kindergarten, so I, was, I lived with Nana and Pop, and, and I was like, yes, this is for me. <laughs> um, uh, wow, it's crazy to think I was about younger than Henry is now. Um, Would you show it to him? Oh, God, no. <laughs> I shouldn't have been watching it, but I... Um, uh, like the basement, it was like my grandparents were having a party, and like the basement was sort of my domain. Um, uh, and I, 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 I would put on Johnny Cash records and just like run in circles. And, uh, uh, so it, yeah, it, it's it's very much trying to come to terms with because what happens in almost all of those movies is the woman is raped, and that's what she's getting her revenge for. Mm-hmm. And there's um, a lot of things about that that I find problematic, right. um, and I think it is a distinctly male perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, is that coming again from that kind of like we're not admitting that we're aroused by this? A little, there's a little bit of that, and and there's also um, uh, you know, and I think that there's like it, it's this notion that like. Uh, that's the worst thing that can happen to a woman, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it's such a power thing. It's too. the worst thing that can happen to a woman if you value her for her sex. Mm-hmm. If you, if that is how you conceive of what a woman is for, mm-hmm. then that's the worst thing that can happen. It is taken from you by another man. Right. You know, it is a distinctly male perspective, um, and trying to figure out like. You know, if we if we take as our ma- mantra this thing we said earlier, which is the sort of like I don't give a fuck what you think. Right. You know, I don't give a fuck if you like it. What I'm telling this story for me, I'm telling the story for my drawer. Then how do I? Is there a way I get to have my cake and eat it too? Is there a way that I get to like vent my spleen and enjoy this um, incredible violence? I, you know, I sent out a newsletter the other day, and no one has called me on my hypocrisy. But um, uh, I caught it myself that um, in the first part of the newsletter, I was uh, incredulous um, about, I, I had woken up, I was in a funk because I'd woken up and I, the first thing that I'd heard on the radio, I think, was like this Frank DeFord piece about um, the commissioner of the NFL and, uh, uh, and you know, there's this whole thing going on right now where um, uh, Rice was asked to sit out. Uh, 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 he's banned from two games. He has to miss two games right. you know, um, uh, uh, for having an altercation uh, with his then fiance now wife uh, that at some point ended in her being unconscious and him dragging her onto an elevator or off of an elevator. Jesus. I don't recall, uh, recall, but... Um, uh, so no charges were laid? No charges, but she's now his wife. There are a lot of times that women don't press charges in these instances, and it, so there's this thing that like. Um, See, in, like in Canada, there wouldn't that wouldn't matter. Charges yeah. would be laid anyways for the actual regardless. Well, of and that can happen, yeah. but if the people decide that, like if. See, they're not they're they're not being transparent about this at all. Um, so we don't really know what happened. But if she says, like we you know, were we were gaming, we were trying to figure out. Okay, what are ways that this is not what it looks like? Yeah, like, uh, how do you know what I mean? Like, I mean the like, things that are are not in dispute that it was a physical altercation. Right. She did somehow end up unconscious. Yeah. You know, but uh, uh, and and so there's a lot of argument that like, uh, you know. 
fighting dogs will is a, is more of a ban than domestic violence. Yeah. And you know, are, are we um, do, do we value the lives of the dogs over women? And it's like, well, no. Culturally, we believe that that dogs and children are innocent, but women are complicit in their own abuse. She was asking for it in some way, you know. Mm. Um, uh, yeah. And even Whoopi Goldberg, who I fucking adore recently said like well you know if you're a four foot nothing and you get into it with a six foot two man you go at him you got to understand that something's going to happen and like shut the fuck up whoopee you know like no and and so my thing was like you know my son is six years old and he understands that his sister who was four years old is an asshole right now and she will provoke him and she will hit him and it is not okay for him to respond in violence. It is not okay. See, well, I keep trying to tell him about the silent treatment. And he understands what the silent treatment is. He's like, yeah, that just seems mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Henry, honey. Yeah. So, um, what, you know, what he knows that he needs to get himself to safety and involve an adult. Yeah. Not say, knock her unconscious and drag her onto an yeah. elevator, you know? Um, and so in this, so in the newsletter, I was going on about this and then in the very next paragraph, I talked about how I'd also, um, uh, just read, uh, I'd gone looking to see, uh, if there had been any progress made, um, with the, uh, 219 kidnapped Nigerian girls and nope, still no progress, um, there. So that was awesome. Um, and I was furious and uh, and I wrote about having fantasies that uh, you know all of the millions of us that are outraged behind our computers that that um, th- that nothing is being done about these girls. Um, uh, I was like, you know, if if we could all do something, if we, you know, there's 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 got to be millions of us who who would say that this is not okay. If you know, and and the, these girls are held by what you know, probably hundreds of militants, maybe thousands, best. Right. Um, uh, and and I wrote about how uh, uh, we could march in and crush them like elephants on dry grass, um, uh, which was uh, uh, me fantasizing about responding in violence. Mm-hmm. Um, although, in my defense, it was really about getting the girls back. But um, but I didn't write that we would uh, you know hold hands and go take them to yeah. safety. Right. I wrote that we would crush them. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, so I mean, there's a certain amount of. Um... But uh, part of that, like what you're saying, though, is like you're telling the story. That you like, these are your viewpoints. This is the experience you're going through as a woman. While with most cinema, with rape revenge movies, these are men creating a dialogue that is their viewpoints on what. Mm-hmm. And that's that's two different things. Like yeah. that's not a hypocrisy. That's your experience, your lived experience, and then that's um, business. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to see if I could. Um, have my cake needed yeah. too, really. Right. You know, can I can I write something that doesn't um, uh, diminish uh, women in in or reduce them um, and still 
get that self-satisfied. Yeah. <laughs> like, I do I just on the level of fan, is there hypocrisy in talking about real violence and then talking about fantasy violence? Because, I don't know. I mean, you you and this is traffic a, in fantasy violence a lot. This is a big question. I you know I I was writing a. a, a a piece for the back of Captain Marvel, um, the day of the Newtown mm-hmm. um, murders, and and I ended up writing about it. I was like, you know, I don't. I'm questioning my role in this, um, and you know, and and I I I've been. Uh, I've been in a room at WISCON where a woman on a panel um, uh, just, ma- ma- you know, just joking, but she she threatened um, uh, someone I know with physical bi- violence in a way that you know she that she was kidding, but she was she was saying that like you you know right. uh, that she wanted to hurt this person in a, in a physical way, but because it, it was... And to her, he's not a person. Mm-hmm. He's a representative of something. And this is a dude I, I know, you know? And, and uh, I was wildly uncomfortable uh, uh, with it. And, mm-hmm. I, and, um, and, 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 and I, you know, said something to somebody about how, how uncomfortable it made me. And then I thought about it later and thought, like, that, that it was... Um, on some level, uh, hypocrisy on my part that like I, that I do that I, I, I traffic in in um, violent infective constantly. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, in in I write it in my work. Uh, you know, I try to uh, uh, construct scenes where violence is, isn't the solution and it is only used when it has to be, but. Um, uh, but it's, you know, you can't write superhero comics without violence. They right. won't let you, you yeah. know. Um, they don't want to see you talk it out. Um, and, uh, you know, I, have to, I am constantly, like, putting Carol in situations uh, with, with problems she can't punch and then figuring out what she will yeah. punch because she has to punch something. You forgot your punch quota. Yeah. Um, you know, and I have a, a, a lot of violent fantasies. Um, I want to beat the shit out of a great many people. Um, but I could count on one hand the number of times I've actually been on a fight in a fight, yeah. you know, and uh, not in my adulthood. Yeah. Um, I, I would like to, to keep it that way. Well, something I think about a fair amount in relation to comic books is how uh, it's essentially expressing ideas. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, you know, like like in Canada, a lot of things we deal with there are the border people arresting people because they have you know pornographic images of of children. And the first thing that always comes up with me, I'm like, is it a drawing or a photograph? Because if that's a somebody's wiggling a pencil, that's not a real thing to me. Right. And and it's difficult to to discuss because it is. It's not like the ideas you put out in mass produced don't affect people's lives. Right. But it is very. I do feel like fictional violence, at least put out to be part of the conversation, ideally, is a different animal than, than real violence. Sure. Um, but then, uh, like, would I condemn... Uh, 
uh, a woman penned rape violence uh, or a rape fantasy. Right. You know, um, and um, you know, I don't. I I have a huge problem with uh, how rape is contextualized in in, in our culture and what what it is. Uh, uh, how the dominant voice sort of uses it as a way of um, limiting women, I think. Right, and that's um, another question too. Is it does it affect it if the people in power, if if it's worked by 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 uh, a minority as opposed to majority? I mean, I think these are all interesting questions, um, and 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 you know that they're not easy answers uh, is right. Is comforting, <laughs> um, uh, you know. And then there's that Fitzgerald quote as well. I, I think about. Um, I've got my computer here. I could look it up exactly, but it, it's uh, like uh, uh, something about the the ability to hold to um, uh, mutually exclusive notions mm-hmm. at once. Uh, is like the definition of humanity yeah. and um, I mean I think that's very much there are a lot of things with uh, Osborne Osborne was um, was was born from uh, I had read about this uh, this prison that was off the coast of Seattle mm-hmm. um, uh, and, the, and I had read like just this little salacious tidbit that was um, uh, that you know there's a prison off the coast of Seattle that houses 370 sexual predators all men and one woman. And I thought, like, what the fuck did she do? Right. You know? And I went looking for that and then ended up reading more about this place. And then I learned that um, uh, there's this island prison and a lot of the people that were held there had completed their sentences. There's a really good Louis Thoreau documentary on something quite like that. Yeah. Uh, and and the, so the... the, the you know, card-carrying civil libertarian in me was like, that is fucking un-American. That is right. as un-American as un-American gets. And the the part of me that is the mother of two small children and lives not that far from Seattle was like, well, you know, sexual predators, I could lose that key and I'm fucking okay with it, you right. know? Um, and, uh, uh, and, and I believe both of those things. Right. Yeah. Um, um, and... Uh, and I don't, and, and I don't know how to sort it. And so, and so, so Osborne was my, was my way of sorting it. And I guess I came to the conclusion at the end of Osborne, I certainly championed the side of the civil libertarian. It's mm-hmm. like you know, regardless, you know, we ha- our ideals matter. Mm-hmm. Um, um, do you expect to come up with an answer? Or do you often are you often able to even come up with an answer when you when you approach things with big questions like that? Um, um, I certainly understand my footing better. Um, uh, I think I probably 50% of the time come, come down with a, like, no, ultimately this matters more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the joy is just in, um, you know, running your hands over every side of the problem. Right. Um, I mean, there's the, one of the things that I'm so proud of with Pretty Deadly is that it's, uh, It's a big knot of different people's stories that, mm-hmm. you know, it's like um, macrame, mm-hmm. you know, there's, it's, there, there's. Things are going to come out. Yeah, I wanted it to, to, I wanted you to feel like it was finished. And, and I think 
I think the ending's a little rushed, but this is, I have bad at pacing. This is the thing I suck at, and I'm still trying to get better at it. But um, I think the ending is a little rushed, but, uh, but, it, but it has an ending. There's this, there is a finality. Um, everyone's story comes to a conclusion. There's enough open threads that we, you know, we have places to go with volume two. But, um, but I wanted you to feel like you had a meal when you finished the whole thing. And I think we accomplished that. But, um, but every character has, there's a different, everybody's got a different question. There's, mm -hmm. you know, like, um, it's like, you know, five different Osborns in there. Right, right. So. Yeah, I really enjoy how dense that book is, and I uh, I don't know if I've said this already in this interview at all, but I would I would read it and talk to the guys at the comic store, and they'd be like, I didn't get it, and I was like, I know, I didn't either. It's great. I have to read it three more times. <laughs> <laughs> it, that, it's super not going to be for everybody, and that is okay. And I think that like the 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 funny part is when people like like start reading stuff into that, and like you know, you're calling me dumb. Like yeah, no, right. nope, super not doing that. Um, uh, like there was there was a dude who was like sent me a whole bunch of questions about it, and I said, and I wrote back because I'm not gonna answer y'all, you know, like I could, but I'm not going to. I think the work should stand on its own. Yeah, if you have a copy and, of the book, it's not like you you have to yeah, read it to the guy. Yeah, or you know, like Google other people's analysis. Right. You know, um, um, when are, there have been times when I've been like, was it, did it make it to the page? Did I get everything, you know, out? Yeah. Well, I've seen a couple of people do really thorough analysis and they got it. So yes, I did. It's on the page. So, um, uh, you, you know, it, so this guy sent me this list of questions. So I was like, you know, maybe this book is not for you and it's totally okay. And yeah. he wrote back and said, did you just say that I'm not smart enough to get your book? And I was like, whoa, no fucker. You know, right. like, no, I didn't. I said that this is maybe not a book for you and that is okay. Yeah, I think that's a really important point with all comics is is making universal work doesn't doesn't at all help the quality. Yeah, no, I I um love uh uh Pretty Deadly is 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 the the closest to my heart of any of the work that I've done, barring mm. possibly this uh, CBGB uh, short story that I did, um, but. Uh, was that in the CBGB anthology? Mm-hmm. Okay, I have that somewhere. Um, uh, it, it's this the most grossly autobiographical piece I've ever done is why. Um, but, uh, uh, and one of the characters in it is a beloved friend of mine who's dead now, mm -hmm. and so it's, it's very close to my heart. Right. But, um, uh, the, the, but I don't, I'm not, I didn't. I didn't shit out Science Bros. Like you know, like yeah. and like like I love Science Bros. I think it says something. I think it's about something. I think it, I think it has value, and I think it's good work, and I'm proud of it. Mm -hmm. um, and those are the two, um, uh, not just the the Science Bros. storyline, but the the second storyline that asks the question, the the Black Widow one. That's like um, starts with the thesis that like um, you know everyone would kill Hitler. Um, uh, you know, it's like well, if you could go back in time and kill Hitler, would you? Fuck yes. Um, uh, but what about Oppenheimer, you know? Um, um, so, uh, so that, that's, that's the question about Black Widow story. And I think it, I think it has something. I think yeah. that there's something there. And those, I send those two books out as my writing samples. 
um, and they're they're wildly different. Mm -hmm. um, and I think dude that had the list of questions about Pretty Deadly would probably very much enjoy uh, uh, Science Bros. And right. like, and it, and it doesn't mean that I think he's not bright enough. I think that maybe that means when he's enjoying comics, he doesn't want to work that hard. And I get it. And there mm -hmm. is nothing wrong with that. Sometimes you want to eat candy. Yes. Yes. You know, or you want a comic that you can read on the potty. You know? Um, I put a snack. I don't there's that uh, uh, Howard Chaikin story about somebody complaining, like, yeah, I read, uh, I read American Flag like three times and I didn't get it. And Howard's response was, yeah, try reading it again. <laughs> <laughs> no swear words involved with that answer? Maybe. Uh, he pulled, reached into his magical pocket and pulled out a big bunch of fucks and threw it in the guy's face. <laughs> He is a joy. He is a, he is a singular, singular joy in my life and in the comics industry. And I celebrate him every day. <laughs> um, um, thank you for welcoming us into your house. Yeah. Um, reminder, folks, we've been talking to Kelly Sudaconic, as well as uh, Matt Fraction's been joining in here and there. Um, Tea.